You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICV's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Prakriti, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we're going to hear part of the second episode of Haya, or How Are You Actually, with Caitlin Smith and WICV News Director Beck Legato, spoke with representatives from the League of Women Voters in the second part of two-part conversation to learn more about the organization and to speak on issues on the local ballot. But first, we have Blake Matthews and Beck Legato with Community Beat and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. Ithaca Starbucks workers are participating in a national Red Cup Day strike against the company. The workers, which are unionized through Starbucks Workers United, are protesting for better pay, staffing, and consistent schedules. The Starbucks location by the Commons is one of over 100 stores participating in the strike. This comes as the company's busiest time of the year starts. Ithaca plans to create a new public safety facility to replace the current police facility that has fallen into disrepair. The idea was introduced in 2017 after a study conducted by Kingsbury Architecture determined that the current facility had inadequate space and storage capacity. This year, the city worked with Mitchell Associates, an Albany-based architecture firm, to evaluate possible solutions. The firm recommended construction of a completely new public safety facility and a new location with a budget of 20 to 30 million dollars. Tompkins County District Attorney Matt Van Houten has announced on Friday that a man named Jeremiah Jordan has been indicted on charges related to the stabbing of a man in late October. Jordan, who is 39 years old, has been charged with murder in the second degree, criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree, and tampering of physical evidence. Jordan is being held at the Tompkins County Jail. Cayuga Lake Environmental Action now announced they will not appeal the Tompkins County Supreme Court denial of their petition against the New York Department of Environmental Conservation and Cargill Incorporated. The advocacy group claimed that the DEC's decision to grant a permit for the new vertical mining shaft in 2017 violated the State Environmental Quality Review Act. The group maintains that Cargill's under-lake salt miming threatens the structural integrity and sanitation of Cayuga Lake. The advocacy group said that it will move forward by educating public officials about the risks of under-lake salt miming, mining and runoff from Cargill's operations. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. In the aftermath of a disappointing midterm for New York Democrats, State Party Chair Jay Jacobs is touting support from county chairs, including in Tompkins County. According to the Info Voice, a letter of support for Jacobs
ഇതൊക്കെയാണ് All right, so this is the second episode of the podcast. If you didn't listen to episode 1, go check out episode 1. It was all about the freshman transition to college. But in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how college students are over-involved, overstressed, and burnt out. So, I'm really excited to be talking about this topic today. There's a lot to cover, so let's get into it. So it's the fall season right now. Leaves are changing color, weather's getting colder, and students are starting to settle into their normal routines, their normal organizations, their normal involvement, class schedule, what have you. And things could be starting to get a little stressful. We're out of that back to school period where everything is really exciting, kind of lenient. Um you feel this like abundance of choice. You're really excited about what your school could have to offer you for the year and now we're actually getting settled into the rigor that comes with college. And obviously the main form of rigor that we find in college is that of academics. And this time of the year especially is when students are starting to feel that burnout kind of set in for them. Whether you're one major or maybe you're minoring or you're double majoring or what have you, people are really starting to feel that kind of stress. but on top of that could be start feeling some of the stress from their extracurricular organizations from organizations they should have leadership positions in things like that so it's a lot ramping up right now and a lot of students might feel overworked or even burnt out so i could spend a whole other episode talking about academic burnout academic overinvolvement and the stress that students place on themselves for that but in today's episode i'm going to be talking about extracurricular and co-curricular overinvolvement, spreading your schedule too thin, time management, things like that. And joining extracurriculars can be a super fun thing. It's a great way to meet new friends with similar interests. It's a great way to build a network if it's a career-oriented extracurricular. It's a great way to blow off steam if it's, you know, a sports-related one or a fun-related one. In theory, extracurriculars are a great thing. But in practice, with having all of these different options for extracurriculars it can be a lot on students so i'm going to break this into a little bit of sections to talk about the stress and the overinvolvement that students may face with extracurricular organizations and with things outside of their course load that might impact first of all their performance on their course load but more importantly their general mental health and might result in symptoms of burnout um you know or worse For this episode I had the chance to speak to Mish Lenhart who is the director of student engagement at Ithaca College and to start off we talked about if college students just in general are overbooked or overworked. So I would say there are three different categories of students. Um there are the students who are not involved in anything and kind of staying in their rooms and going to class and that's about it and that's a small pretty small group on mm-hmm. campus. 
Um, and then there's kind of the other extreme, which is a group of maybe one to 200 students on campus total mm-hmm. who are super involved in lots of things. Yeah. Um, and they are the ones who um, might be considered to be over-involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the majority of the campus is somewhere in the middle, which mm-hmm. is that they kind of find one or two things that they are really happy and excited about and they get into those and that's their involvement and it's kind of a healthier level of involvement. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you say are students over involved, especially when I think about the students we see here at in the student um, engagement office, Mm -hmm. those are going to be those. Those are the ones who are um, uh, doing everything and then what happens is they join one club and then people know that they're excited and involved yeah. so they ask them to join another club and mm-hmm. and that kind of uh, um, that's what happens. So you enter into college or you start a new semester of college and you're made aware of like all of the opportunities that your campus offers and you really want to get involved. So you go to a club fair, you go to a couple of intro meetings, you figure out really what you want to do and you see that, oh, there's a sport that you want to play, there's a career-oriented club that you want to join, there's something relaxing that you want to join, oh, there's a hundred other things that you want to join. And so you're trying your best to balance things. And so time goes on and you're trying your best to balance the things that you actually are really passionate about and the clubs that you actually really want to be a part of, and you're finding that you just don't have time for it. And you're already kind of connected with that club. You don't want to necessarily quit that club. And so you know you probably need to cut back on the amount that you're involved in or your roles in certain clubs, but you might feel pressure, especially if it's a career-oriented club or something that helps you network, or even just something where you're seeing that there's a lot of kids who are involved with it and are managing it, where you feel a pressure to stay. So I think, um, you know, if you have a major that has a student organization that is aligned with that major, there's probably pressure to be in that, which isn't a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that if that's what you want to go into, there's a lot of networking opportunities. There may be conferences you get to go to that are aligned with your major. So I think that's where there might be some pressure for that. Um, and then I guess it depends who your friend group is and who <laughs> you're around, Um And that they might say, I I have noticed a lot of student leaders saying, I've asked all of my friends to come to this event, or um, I've tried to invite my friends to join this organization. So I do think if you have friends who are involved or, you know, a mentor who's an upper class student who is involved, they might start asking you to be involved in things too. And on top of that, as time goes on, you may want to take a leadership position or serve on an e-board or do more leadership work with specific organizations again to boost a resume but also if you're proud of that organization so you're taking on more responsibility and that can be a lot if you're already you know pushing yourself pushing your schedule really stretching your time it's sometimes a recipe for disaster and really really tough for students to maintain that level of rigor along with the general college course load and I'm going to sound like your mom really quick I'm so sorry about that but something that really does get neglected when students are in college is the importance of sleep 
we all know that sleep is an important thing. Like, you don't have to hear it again. But if you're working, you know, you wake up, you have, say, a 9 a.m. class, maybe classes until around 2-ish. Maybe you're getting some homework done in between those classes or some other work. And then you have, you know, some sort of extracurricular that you're in, you know, that you're committed to or you have, like, a leadership position in or stuff like that. You're not done until, like, 8 or 9 p.m., depending on what that extracurricular is. And now you're either eating, hopefully, or you're going to the library or you're studying or things like that. And you're not going to bed until the wee hours of the night. Maybe you have a relationship that you're balancing with that. Maybe you have friendships that you're balancing with that. You have a lot of other things. And so you're not going to bed until well past the day's end, well past the marker for the next day. And that's a lot because then you're repeating the cycle and waking up, you know, 7, 8 a.m. to repeat a class. I mean, maybe you have a later class and it works for you. But a lot of people's circadian rhythm at this time is just not equipped for that. I mean, in general, younger people have a circadian river rhythm that's, you know, slightly later and wakes up later, but not to the extent that college students are pushing themselves to. And the American Academy of Sleep Medicine actually did a study on college students and how much they sleep. And according to the results, they found that of the students surveyed that participated in extracurricular activities, insomnia and excessive daytime sleepiness were frequent complaints with 6.3% of them complaining of non-restorative sleep, 9.7% complaining on difficulty maintaining sleep, 5.6% difficulty initiating sleep, at least three nights a week, and moderate to severe daytime sleepiness reported by almost 30% of the students. Sleep durations of less than six hours were reported by 17.9% of students, and being involved more than 10 hours per week was a significant predictor for non-restorative sleep, sleep duration of less than six hours per night, and excessive daytime sleepiness. So students are tired. Students are not gaining the level of sleep that they need to actually restore their body and reset for the next day. And a lot of that is attributed to their scheduling and their over-involvement in extracurriculars and just a schedule that doesn't work for them and their bodies. You know, sleeping one hour, two hours, three hours a night, that's just not normal. Humans are not meant to function on that. And you definitely definitely will feel the effects of that lack of sleep eventually catch up to you so you're hearing me say all of this about you know like the negatives of being overworked and stuff like that and you're like okay Caitlin I get it maybe I shouldn't join this many extracurriculars like limit myself things like that and obviously yes but the struggle comes from the pressure from yourself from your career and from your school to it be involved on campus. There's a lot of organizations on different colleges, college campuses that offer scholarship but require students to be involved in a certain number of organizations for a certain number of time to have a certain amount of volunteer work, things like that in order to keep a scholarship. So if a student is feeling really overworked by their schedule or feels like they need a break, they might feel the pressure from that scholarship to keep going. Also, if they're in a career-oriented organization, obviously they feel the pressure 
to keep that organization on their plate because that's what they have to put on their resume. That's how they're able to network. That's how they're going to land an interview, things like that. So students tend to feel stuck with what they choose to get involved with. Also, especially for first-year students, it's very hard to speak up for yourself in front of upperclassmen students. A lot of the time, freshmen are asked to do a lot and have a lot of, you know, like entry-level roles, and it's very tough for them to speak up for themselves in front of upperclassmen. You know, they're four years older than them. They've been here so, so much longer. It's really hard to tell someone, you know, hey, I can't make it, or, you know, I really need a break, things like that, because they feel the pressure from having someone, you know, older than them being, like, a leader in an organization. So it's very hard, especially for first-year students, to say no to certain um, extracurricular thing, and that leads to them being even more overworked and feeling like there's no way to, you know, get out of that. Um, I mean, I actually recommend that when students first get here that they do cast a wide net and get involved in a lot of things Mm -hmm. because you never kind of know what it is that you're going to love. You may think something that you did in high school you're going to still love when you get to Ithaca, and then it turns out that it isn't kind of the same dynamic that you Mm -hmm. thought it was going to be. Um, And meanwhile, there could be something you weren't expecting to you just kind of go and because your roommate wanted to go and you're kind of keeping that person company. And then suddenly you're like, oh, my gosh, I love this. Um, So I do think that that's kind of a smart thing. But you do have to be able to then back off and say, "Okay, I need to narrow this down to maybe two or three things that I'm really excited about rather than trying to keep going to seven or eight things and burning yourself out. Um, And I think that um, truly student organizations are used to that. Mm -hmm. Um, You could always just stay on a mailing list so that if there's an event that comes up that you're super interested in that's related to that org, you could say yes and go to that. Um, But I think that you're smarter to say, um, I really love the mission of the student organization. I just don't have time right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And letting the people who are running the organization know. I think that if you're on the list and they're like, gosh, we haven't heard from this person. I wonder what's happening. That might be more frustrating than hearing a, oh, I love this, but I can't do it. The League of Women Voters is a national organization that encourages and educates the public on why they should vote. It is a nonpartisan organization through the chapter here in Tompkins County that helped advocate for some of the propositions on the ballot this midterm season. WICB News Director Beck Legato spoke with co-president Sally Grubb and secretary of the organization Nancy Skipper to learn more about their organization and how they help advocate, especially in this past midterm election, in the second part of this conversation. The League of Women Voters is a nationwide organization that has chapters all over the country created to encourage women to go out and vote. They were created to keep the public informed on local issues and concerns that voters have a right to know with up-to-date information. They do operate as a non-partisan organization, though, and while they don't take political sides, they will sometimes advocate for certain proposals on the ballot. With this past midterm elections having come and gone, the Tompkins County chapter partnered with Real Voice and Real Vote, which is a coalition of local local organizations to encourage voting in the Tompkins region and help multiple different events to stimulate engagement and help advocate for one particular proposal on the ballot 
Clean Water, Clean Air, and Clean Jobs Environmental Bond Act of 2022. I spoke with co-president Sally Grubb and secretary of the Thompson County League of Women Voters, Nancy Skipper, to learn more about their organization and how they were able to, to help and pass this New York State proposal that would help make the state a more environmentally friendly place for locals. This is the second part of a two-part conversation I had with Nancy and Sally. If you missed the first part of this series, you can find the interview on any streaming platform. Just search up WICB News Presents It Canal. Well, briefly, one thing that Sally organized, which was wonderful, was reaching out to um, all of our public libraries that are in Tompkins County, because, uh, you know, aside from the Tompkins County Public Library downtown, most of the other branches are in very rural areas. And um, so she established uh, an organization of liaisons for each library. And so I um, and working with the Newfield Public Library that's south of town. It's, you know, it's a, a very, very rural area um, and um, completely different income levels from Ithaca. There are areas that are missing broadband connectivity. Um, and I've made several trips down there taking uh, voting and election related materials. And September 20th was National Voter Registration Day. And um, boy, Sally, it, it was amazing what she did that got people in, in all the public libraries and a whole bunch of other locations all on that one day. And we really don't have enough people on the league now to do all these kinds of things that we'd like to, but she really mobilized a lot of people. And so I sat in the Newfield Public Library and I, I asked the librarian if it was okay. And I greeted every person who came in. It's a tiny library. It's, it's just an absolute gem. It's lovely. It's just, it's like a little community reading room, but there's a librarian there and there's staff there. And um, they let me take over a computer workstation and put up, you know, a poster board and handouts and registration forms. And they went back to update it after the, um, you know, one election was over and another one was coming up. And I'm going to go down again soon, Sally, so they can good. get yeah. their workstation back. <laughs> so it was a very good effort. Yeah. And we did run into people too that um, said they were not going to vote. They just told me flat out. And I sort of, I tried to bite my tongue and listen. And some of it was just people feeling disenfranchised and disenchanted with our politics. Um, and so I just very quietly said, well, there are some good candidates. You know, if, if, you, if you change your mind, <laughs> here's the form. And, um, or, you know, give me a call and I'll make sure you find a way to get registered. And, you know, one person was really upset that she didn't have broadband access. So I ended up mailing her everything she needed just before the election and sent a little postcard. And so it was real small. It wasn't that many people, but you feel like in an endeavor like this, even one contact is, is worthwhile. Pew Research published a study that found that this year's elections could be the highest midterms in voter turnout yet, coming in an estimated 50.4%, a slight increase from the 2018 midterms, which were at 50.1%. I asked Sally and Nancy what could have caused this increase in voter turnout, especially during the midterms. I think it's because so many people are starting to be aware of the fact that they can do something about it, that they can speak for themselves mm -hmm. and they can 
use their vote to be their voice. And it's like this new coalition, your voice, your vote. The, these, this was a spontaneous coalition, you know, creation of the coalition with different groups working and trying to work out how to get their people engaged. And once engaged, how do we get them registered? And then once registered, how do we get them to vote? Mm -hmm. and, and Nancy was saying how many places we reached out to on voter registration day. It was because of this coalition. I told them what to do and how to do it and off they went and did it. And it was a case in some instances of you'd register one person. But, you know, one person is on your way to getting 10 and 10's on your way to getting 100. And so you go on. I think too, part of the dynamic was there's been so much bad publicity. Well, bad publicity is still publicity <laughs> about politics and government and elections that it put it, it put elections on people's radar. Yeah. But then the more um, publicity we could get out there about voting and about elections and how you can get help and it's not as hard as you think. Um, I think it was a good outlet for people's frustration because, you know, when you're distressed and discouraged about something, you can either ignore it, stick your head in the sand or go and do something about it. And we tried to make it easier for people to be able to go and do something about it. So I felt very good about that. Thanks to Sally. On the ballot this year was a proposal labeled the Clean Air, Clean Water, and Green Jobs Bond Act that the League of Women Voters advocated for. This proposal would be a multi-year investment of $4.2 billion into clean water, wildlife, the environment, and more. This proposal was originally created and passed in 2020, though it got canceled due to the pandemic. Sally and Nancy continued speaking on this act and why they supported it. Well, my, a lot of people were concerned about the Bond Act because they were, it's so much money and the potential for misuse of that money is great. It could go to, you know, the cronies. It's gonna require people like us to monitor the fact that they are open and honest and use the money where they have said in the, in the, um, proposal where it's going to go that it is actually going to benefit us and not benefit a big a lot of big companies um, and i think it's an example of you, you you mustn't give up until you've finished so we having got that bond act passed we now have to make sure it does what it's promised to do um, we've got to keep the politicians honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had no position on the, the proposition for the city mayor. Um, that passed too. So, um, and I think, I don't know, personally, I think it's probably a good thing. Um, professionals doing jobs uh, with a you know, uh, the Common Council uh, is employing the, the, the city manager. If they're keeping the city manager honest, they're, they're gonna do better than with a mayor who's not a professional, he's a politician. 
um, the, the county has an administrator. So uh, it's, it's not out of the blue. You talked a bit about collaboration, whether it's between the different branches of the League of Women Voters or with the new coalition, Your Voice and Your Vote, which is a collaborative effort between multiple local organizations to encourage voters to participate in the elections. Well, I'm going to speak for Nancy here. Her collaboration with the Board of Elections makes her job possible. And I would say that uh, we as a community are lucky in our Board of Elections. You hear about other leagues talk about finding it extremely difficult to work with their board of elections. So I think uh, I, we're very lucky. And uh, we are the currently uh, the league um, because of our because of well, Nancy's a lot younger than I am because of her, our age and our background. We are not diverse. We have a couple of student members. We have a handful of male members, but most of us are retired middle-class white women. And uh, it, you, I mean, your background does control how you're received by other members of the community. And so being able to reach out to other parts of our community through the coalition is going to make so much difference to us. Mm -hmm. um, we now have a way of reaching out to communities that we have not been good at reaching out to before. Um, you know, it's easy enough to leave flyers in a food bag, and we did an enormous amount of that in 22 and 20, uh, 20 what am I talking about? In 20 and 21, we distributed an enormous amount of election information, but it's much more difficult to go and talk to those people one-on-one -on -one unless you've been given an introduction. And so this um, working with your voice, your vote, is, is going to be really beneficial to us, and we hope beneficial to them too. At one point, there was some discussion about having this big gathering that we had uh, Saturday with the coalition and community members on the commons, but it was done at the Southside Community Center instead. Do you know back about the Southside? Okay. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> um, and some people said, well, on the commons, you would have had more people, et cetera, et cetera. But I totally agree with this, a point that Sally made very eloquently, which was that that would have been a very different group of people. And the people we met with at the Southside Community Center is what we needed to do. They were really valuable contacts with members of the community who have not been as included in the past. Um, so I think it was a really good decision to have it there. It was that was Joanna. Joanna Green, yes, um, from the uh, Tompkins County Human Rights Commission. Yeah, she she did an enormous amount of work. I mean, she she I may have done the logistics, like reserving the place and not reserving the place because it was booked and that sort of thing, um, and uh, organizing tables and that sort of thing. But she was the one who pulled the coalition members to come and participate. So. A great working together.
While the League of Women Voters takes positions on certain proposals like the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Bond Act, they choose to remain nonpartisan on political leaders and instead focus on incurring encouraging voters to use their right as an American citizen and vote. I wanted to learn more about the nonpartisan aspect of their organization since it has been a large part of defining their group as an organization. I, I, I was a member of the Ivica City School District Board of, Board of Education for 10 years. And um, all the elections I was involved in as a candidate were run by the, um, well, the candidate forums were run by the legal women voters. And uh, the board of election candidates are voted district-wide. You don't have a, you know, you don't have a ward or an area. You, You don't, you don't represent one school. You represent the entire district. So in a sense, the it's, that's nonpartisan. You, you, you don't go as a member of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Um, and the, the way the League handled those um, candidate forums really impressed me. And so after I uh, stopped being a school board member, I joined the League with a, specifically to, part, to take part in the candidate forums. And so then the, the non-partisanship wears off on you and you suddenly realize here I am in an organization that is non-partisan and we don't spend all the time saying, oh, how are we going to get Joe elected? We spend all the time saying, how are we going to get the candidates represented at a public forum? It's, it's just very different. And it, after a bit, um, it, it's, I, I, I like it. Um, and I'm not sure that I would be good, uh, say, becoming a member of the Hippity Hop Party and running elections for them. I would feel I was only dealing with one segment of the political spectrum. Here we deal with everything. I think for me, um, I'll try to be brief, uh, (laughs) but it is a bit of a story. I I was drawn to the league just with the idea of getting getting good information to people because I have a background as a research librarian and I think sort of non-partisanship is woven into the concept of being a librarian because you wanna get the information that people need without judgment. And other than judging, is this good information? Is it accurate or not? <laughs> and um, so that's why I was drawn in to help me vote 411. But the more I learned about the league, the more I realized the sort of the nuances and the challenges. But I really do appreciate the nonpartisanship because for, for two reasons. One is preserving democracy. I mean, that's so clear now. That is so clear. It has to be an, an open, nonpartisan election process. And you can't you know, partisanship is a piece of it, but it can't dominate the whole picture or the whole thing becomes imbalanced and starts imploding. Um, Another issue that was a real growth experience for me was I helped with a candidate forum out in the town of Caroline a few years ago. 
and I was kind of laughing at myself going out there in the boonies. I was lost and trying to find a place. And um, I thought, well, how many people in Caroline are going to turn out for a candidate form? I thought maybe 25 people. So I get there. There's no place to park. It was standing room only. The place was packed. It was an excellent forum. And I learned so much about how people living way out in Caroline feel about their property, what they believe about their rights. And even whether, regardless of whether I agreed or not, to hear people speak honestly and openly in a public forum, expressing their innermost worries and fears and, and desires for their family's life, I had to respect that, even if I didn't agree with it. It was a very, very powerful experience. And that was, the, the, for me, the ultimate fruition of a nonpartisan experience was this candidate forum, like Sally was mentioning. For WICB News, I'm Rafa That's all for tonight's edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout this week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Minard, WICB Station Manager Connor Hibbert and Programming Director Harrison Connor. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Beck Legato with assistance from News Managing Director Jordan Brooking, News Production Director Inbayani Andarasan and our Web Coordinator Evan Clark. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing us at news at the rate wicb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.